0: Welcome to the Holistic High Performance Podcast with your host, Daniel Kristofferson. Wow, what a week and a half it's been since the launch of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. We've had downloads in over 10 different countries around the world. I had a listener in the U.S. Virgin Islands, Athena, reach out to me, and she wanted to know a little bit more about my story and how I became the host of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. So in honor of her, I wanted to do something a little different today. So instead of doing an interview with somebody else, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about me. One of my first real pivotal events that started me off on this whole process was Uh, In ninth grade, I was in Mr. Ewing's uh, Washington State history class, and it was the end of the year. And our last day of classes, he showed us slides of a group of students he had taken to Europe the year before. And I was enraptured. And at the end of the class, I went up to him and I said, if you ever go to Europe again, I want to be able to go with you. And so much to my surprise, about seven months later, he called and said, hey, I'm putting together a tour group next year of students to go to Europe. Would you be interested in going? And I was elated. I absolutely really wanted to go. Um, It was a lot of money. I didn't expect I'd be able to, but my parents talked about it and they decided it'd be a once in a lifetime experience. So I immediately went out and got a job and started saving money to go spend three weeks in Europe that summer. Um, Now I'm starting with this because there was a pivotal event that happened I made a decision before I left that I was a pretty picky eater and I realized that I was going to someplace I'd never been before and I didn't know what the food was going to be like. And if I went over there with all of these limitations that I had on what I like to eat, I was going to miss out on the experience. So I did something radical. I went back and started retrying all the foods I didn't like. And much to my surprise, I actually enjoyed a lot of them. I was never a fan of rice or Chinese food, and I discovered that I really liked it. So that was a pivotal moment for me of questioning my beliefs um, and what I thought I liked and didn't like. And when I got to Europe, I had an amazing time. And it, at 16, going through Europe on a group with about 50 other students, it really shifted my sense of history and appreciation for all the different cultures in the world. And so I was hooked. Uh, I kind of got hooked by the travel bug. So a couple years later, I graduated from high school and it was time to go to college. And one of the things that I knew that I wanted to do when I was in college was go on a study abroad program. And it was very fortunate that the college I chose, the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington, had a unique program uh, traveling throughout Asia. It was called the Pacific Rim Asian Studies Travel Program, and the program only traveled every three years, and you had to apply a couple years in advance. So because I knew I wanted to do this as a freshman, I applied for this program, and my advisor, she didn't know who I was, and she walked in and I said, okay, so here's my four-year plan for college, because I'm a planner, and she was just flabbergasted Uh, She'd never had a freshman come in kind of mapping out all the classes they wanted to take and to meet all the requirements and everything they needed to do. And at that time, I thought I was going to be an international studies major. But a couple years into my program, I got accepted to go on this Asian studies travel program my junior year. And so I realized that the business classes were interesting, but I could learn that other places in life. I was fascinated by the humanities and the history. So I spent more time studying those and actually, switched my major to become an Asian Studies major, uh, which I had most of my prerequisites done. And with the program traveling the year in Asia, my degree was pretty much done at the end of my junior year, and so I could take other interesting classes my senior year when I got back. Traveling in Asia for a year was spectacular. Every month was a different country. Once again, a whole new part of the world to me. I was exposed to so many interesting people and places and experiences that it changed me. I went on this journey and I was gone almost a full year and I got back and it was surprising because most of my friends and family were doing the same things they'd been doing the same time that year, a year before uh, when I left. And here I was different, but my best friend from high school uh, had gone to massage school that year. And while we'd had really different experiences, Jennifer had gone on a journey as well, a journey of discovery about herself and her body and communication and who she was. And so when it came time to graduate from college a year later, I wasn't ready to enter the real world yet. I thought if I leave, like many of my colleagues who traveled with me, they went to teach English in Japan, I realized that I was never going to see my grandparents and great-grandparents and a whole generation of people again. So instead of leaving, I chose to stay here and go to massage school for a year. It allowed me to defer my student loans. And I really had no intention of becoming a massage therapist. I just wanted to have this interesting experience and learn the skill of, you know, how to better give somebody a massage. Well, it turns out I was really good at it and I really enjoyed it. I loved learning and it was just fun. And the thing about massage and bodywork is that there's so much to know. There's so much to know about the body and the different systems, about movement, about communication. So I realized that by doing this, I could be in class the rest of my life, which was great because I love to learn. That's one of the things that you'll learn about me throughout the course of this podcast. So here I am in massage school, and I'm good at it, I enjoy it, but I still don't think that I'm really going to become a massage therapist. And about two-thirds of the way through my program, a woman walked in named Maureen Warren. She was a hello worker, and she was teaching a weekend workshop on myofascial release. Now, the minute she walked in the room, I turned and I looked at her, and I just knew, kind of like in Mr. Ewing's class, that I just knew I needed to go to Europe. I looked at Maureen and I said, I want what she has. And I'd never met her before. I didn't know what that was, but just her presence, the way that she carried herself. And so she came in the room. She started teaching us about myofascial release, postural assessment, how to look at somebody's body and help them change. And my whole body was like, I need this. She did a demonstration on a client for an hour and one of the students, and they got up and they looked different. And I was hooked. So It took me a month and a half to get on her schedule, and I immediately went through the HelloWork Structural Integration series throughout the course of the summer. Now, anytime she would teach, I took her next class, which was an elective, and then every quarter after that, uh, when she was teaching her classes, I'd come in and assist her, and I did that for a couple years. Now, my third quarter in massage school, my very first student clinic client, the school has advertises for people outside of in the community to come in and have a massage at a really reduced rate by students in exchange for them giving us feedback. I was downstairs in the student clinic room, uh, my three study partners, Rita, Sue and Curtis, and um, they were all about the age that I am now were down there uh, with me, and we had these little curtained off areas where we were doing massage. And my very first client, the whole hour was like, "Oh my God, that's amazing! Oh, nobody's ever done that before! Oh, I'll give you a million dollars if you never stop!" So I got done with my massage, and I pulled back the curtain, and all of my study partners were there looking at me like, "What were you doing in there?" Of course, I turned beet red. I was just doing a massage. The interesting thing was, is that woman. Uh, waited three months, and came back again for the next student clinic, and she requested me. And then she waited another three months until I graduated from school to have massage again. And she would drive over an hour and a half to come see me to have a massage, have an hour and a half massage, and then drive an hour and a half home. So at that point, I realized there's something here. People want to give me money for something that I love doing, and they're willing to travel to come see me. So I, in the meantime, Graduated from massage school and was looking at going straight into the HelloWork structural integration training uh, with Donna Bialis here in the Seattle area. And a series of events made me realize that I wasn't ready for that. But Donna gave me the opportunity to come hang out in a training that she was doing, and I got to meet her. And during that time, I made a comment that I'm really good at taking care of people. So a week later, her office called me and said, hey, Donna wants to know more about your offer. She wants you to come work for her as her personal assistant. So that's what I ended up doing. Donna was Maureen's teacher. Now I had studied with Maureen and then I got a chance to work with her teacher. And I actually ended up mentoring with Donna for about 10 years. Um, I worked for her as her personal assistant for a couple years, doing everything from taking care of her dogs and her garden to setting up her training center and doing the billing and the physical therapy office that she worked out of and a lot of laundry. But it was an amazing experience to work with Donna and really kind of get grounded in work structural integration. I was the model in a training one year. We started the training in Hawaii. Donna went on sabbatical for a little while. So my training got interrupted, but I took a lot of other classes and other things. And when she came back and started teaching again, I went through the program. And then upon completion, she put me on staff and I started teaching. So that's a little bit about my history of kind of how I got to where I am. I looked at other schools of structural integration, but what I loved about Hellerwork was the integration of the bodywork, the movement education, and the dialogue. Kind of exploring belief systems, how do people move through the world, and you know, how do we create change in their structure and their system? So one of the interesting things, when I was working for Donna, I was also building my practice part-time. Now, growing up, one of the most stressful weeks out of the year was the week before taxes in my family, because my dad would run around the house trying to gather all of the paperwork and get everything together to do his taxes himself. So in massage school, when we were talking about building our business, they said that if you made more than $50,000 a year in taxes, you would have to file quarterly taxes which just sounded horrific to me because I remember back to being a kid and all of the stress in our household around taxes. So I made an interesting decision to not make more than $50,000 a year. And for probably those first four or five years of my practice, I didn't. So I was walking around a local lake with a friend from college, and we were talking. She had just left a job that she had had, and she had signed a non-compete clause, which meant that if she wanted to stay in the same field, she wasn't going to be able to stay in Seattle. So she was looking at San Francisco, New York, or Los Angeles. And she said, you know, I won't move to San Francisco or New York unless I make at least $100,000 a year. And that was mind-boggling to me to think, like, wow, what would that be like? And so I started looking at my upper limit of what I thought was possible and available for me. And so I started questioning that belief system I had, kind of like I did earlier about questioning what foods I liked. And so in questioning this belief system around what would that be, I kind of realized that I was artificially limiting myself. So the next year I went to work, ended up doubling my income. Now, the funny thing was is that Filing quarterly taxes wasn't this terrible thing, it just meant that I had to fill out the same form four times a year and send in a quarter amount as money as I would have only filing once. So once again, it's these belief systems, these shifts. And when that happened, there was a huge shift in my business and I started seeing a lot more clients and became a lot more successful. Now I've worked with clients from around the world. I've had people fly in from London, Singapore, all over the United States. And one of the interesting things was during the economic recession in 2007, 2008, my practice doubled again. All of my colleagues were freaking out and worried about money, and I just kept doing what I was doing and became more successful than ever. It was around this time that I was introduced to Michael Street um, at a local gym, and he really liked what I did and started telling all of his clients about working with me. It was a weightlifting gym. And so I started working with a lot of weightlifters, and then that led to working with track coach and a lot of other athletes. I see a lot of track kids, weightlifters, basketball players, football players, golfers, you name a sport, and they've come to see me. So over the years, my practice has grown, and I not only work on athletes, I work on their parents, I work on their grandparents. I work on software engineers and a lot of other people as well. But that's kind of what I became known for, was working with athletes and helping them improve their performance, recover from injuries during the season so that they could continue on in the season, and to kind of recover from past injuries they'd had. So optimizing their bodies to help them perform better. I would say one of the things that's helped me be a successful practitioner is that I'm always taking classes. I'm always learning new things. And improving my skills. And in doing so, I always have something new to offer to my clients. Just because something works, I'm always looking for a more efficient way to get results faster and with less effort. Learning is something that I love doing. And I really love bringing all of that I do and all that I learn into the treatment room with my clients and sharing it with them. With all these different things that I've studied over the years, I'm able to meet them where they're at. And so sometimes it is through a belief system that they've been holding on to that they need to let go of. Sometimes it is through overcoming the physical trauma that's been in their system. Sometimes it's just learning them how to sequence and use their body differently. You know, the way that they've been using their joints may not be the most efficient way. And so when we get those to line up through better movement, it changes the whole outcome of what they're able to do. You can find out more about the Holistic High Performance and sign up for our monthly newsletter at HolisticHighPerformance.com. That's HolisticHighPerformance.com. I think another motivation for me to continue taking classes was I felt like I had major imposter syndrome for a long time. Even though I was getting great results with people, people were flying in from all over to work with me, and local people were coming back to see me again and again. Internally, I had a belief that I was an imposter, that I wasn't really that good. And part of that was is that I kept looking to the five or ten teachers that had been doing this twice as long as I had and comparing myself to them. And it wasn't until year 20 in my practice that I realized, like, oh, I actually know what I'm doing. And that was a huge relief to have that internal sense of confidence and belief in myself and you know, kind of question this concept or this idea that I had that, hey, I'm an imposter. Even though that I'm doing this great work and people are loving me and they're coming back and I'm getting praise, internally, I still had that belief. So really shifting that belief was a big awakening for me and it allowed me to feel so much more confident. Now, I bring part of that up because here I am. I'm a new podcaster. I've wanted to be a podcaster for about seven years now. I was first introduced to the idea of podcasting in an email from John Lee Dumas, who had Entrepreneurs on Fire. And then he went on to start uh, Podcasters Paradise. It's a group for podcasters. And I actually joined that group very, very early on with the intention of being a podcaster. But I looked at all of the things that had to be done and I felt overwhelmed. And so it's taken me seven years to kind of. Study and learn and gather resources. And part of it is, I had a really successful business with holistic high performance. And so there wasn't a lot of time to do this. So, to be able to do this, I've had to put in a lot of support. I've had to have an assistant and someone help me with the post production. So, I've really had to develop this team. And even coming into that with this team, there's a lot of planning that has gone into this. And it's been very interesting. I was talking to somebody and they shared a quote with me that, you know, No plan has ever survived meeting the enemy. And I share that because I realized going into this podcast that all of my plans were there to keep me safe. They were there to prevent me from failing. And the reality is, is that a lot of my plans haven't gone as planned, but I've had a lot of support and I've had a lot of success in doing what we're doing, even though mentally these ideas that I was holding on about how it was supposed to be They're not actually that way. So it's taken a lot of trust on my part to let go of that plan, that part of me that was worried about, you know, wanting everything to be just perfect and just kind of learn to go with the flow a little bit more. You know, I realized in doing this episode, like younger, I really did that. I trusted myself. I trusted that belief that, you know, I really needed to go to Europe because this was meaningful for me, that going to the study abroad program was going to change my life. And it did. Going to massage school, even though it didn't really fit with the plan, it unfolded and it's got me to where I am today. So I guess what I want you to take away from this is we don't always know where life's going to take us. And starting this podcasting journey, I don't know where this is gonna take me. I don't know what it's gonna do for the business. The last week has been an emotional roller coaster for me in launching this podcast. There's some fear of the unknown, but what I do is I keep coming back to my breath. I keep coming back to my body and anchoring myself and getting grounded and just trusting that all the support that I need for whatever is gonna show up is gonna be there. And that what I need to know I will know when I need to know it. And that helps alleviate a lot of that fear. One of the things that we talked about in massage school in getting ready for tests and things was fear is a false experience about reality. My other quote around fear that I liked was fear is projecting the past into the future. Fear for me is just the presence of the unknown. And the other quote around fear that I really liked is fear is just excitement without breath. So, you know, there are oftentimes that. I am fearful of things. I was fearful of, you know, filing my taxes four times a year. But it's so funny when you actually go forward and take action and do something, how those fears just dissipate. And you realize that, you know, they were just a construct oftentimes. So I'm not talking about, you know, there's a tiger behind you and you need to be afraid because that is real fear. But many of the fears that we have in our modern day lives are just beliefs that we have, that if we question them, if we get curious about them, we can realize that, you know, they're actually, there's not a lot of substance to them. So I encourage you to get out and question your belief systems, question, what's your upper limit? How good can you stand it is a game I like to play with my clients. Because we all know how little money we can have, how little affection, how little food. I mean, all of these things that we know how little we can have, but we often don't question, what's our upper limit? How good can we stand it? Because that can be uncomfortable too. When we approach that upper limit, it might mean that we have to move through something. But it's often so many more opportunities on the other side of that when we do move through it. And that's what I'm excited to see with my clients when they come in and are held in belief systems that are keeping them stuck, you know, keeping their bodies rigid and not being able to move. To watch them transform and change is why I do this work. There is nothing that gives me more thrill when somebody really gets it um, and they really line up in their alignment and who they are Because that constantly gives me permission to line up in who I am and kind of keep coming forward into the world as more of me and not being gripped by the fears that we have. I'm also a huge proponent of self-care. And when I talk about self-care, I talk about what are the things that you're rhythmically doing on a regular basis to tend to yourself. It's great to go have a massage every now and then or go to the spa, but what are you doing on a rhythmic basis? Because the rhythm is really what helps kind of reinforce that. So I go have a salt scrub at the end of every year. It's part of one of my traditions to kind of scrub away the old and kind of welcome in the new year. I frequently soak uh, in the deprivation tanks. I get body work on a very regular basis. I really look at my diet and making sure that I get enough sleep. I like to make sure that I get outside and spend time in the garden and just be out in nature. All of these things are important to me and it's how I help take care of myself. And it's important for everybody to kind of, what is it that feeds you? What is it that gives you energy? I guess that's one of the frameworks that I look at life through is what's taking away my energy. I want to eliminate those things as much as I can. And what are the things that give me energy? What help me feel better about myself? And I want to do more of those things. So for me, self-care is really looking at the things that drain my energy and finding workarounds or delegating or just not doing those things. And then also looking at the things that really give me energy and making sure that I'm scheduling those into my life on a regular basis so that I keep building energy in my system. I'm very fortunate in that I love what I do. I love working with clients. I love the transformations that happen for them. I love people coming in and them not knowing what they don't know yet, and me helping educate them and guide them and increase their awareness and make changes in their lives to help them have more energy in their systems. So I am very grateful every day. And people often ask, aren't you just drained at the end of the day? It takes so much energy. And honestly, working a long day seeing clients is like doing yoga for me. I feel so energized at the end of the day. So I'm very grateful to have that opportunity to uh, have work that I love. I called my practice holistic high performance for a number of reasons. But holistic really is the approach that I take. It's really encompassing all of the person, all of the being and all aspects of their lives. So, you know, we look at their physical body, we look at their emotions, we talk about their belief systems, we look at their connection to spirit. And then, you know, how does that all of that connect to their life force energy? Where are they putting their life force energy? And out of that, when we kind of line up and bring our life force energy into alignment in all aspects of our lives then we do become high performers you know we reach our natural state and when we talk about high performance in our culture we often talk about high performance cars or boats or electronics but high performance is for me is really that natural state i mean it's the m- most efficient use of energy the minimum effort with the maximum return and that doesn't mean that it comes easy sometimes it takes years and years and years of practice to continually come back to something again and again, even though we might be afraid of it, even though we get injured and we have to come back. High performance is an investment. It's an investment of your time and your attention and your energy and oftentimes your money. So you know, where are you focusing? What is it that you want out of life? What intentions have you set? And are you working towards those? In business, it's often said that entrepreneurs overestimate what they can do in a year, and they underestimate what they can do over the course of time. So it took me seven years to get to finally being able to launch a podcast. But I never gave up. I always knew I was going to be able to do it. You know, I kept learning. I kept being part of Facebook groups and learning new things, gathering resources, chipping away at the long to do list of things that needed to get done to make this happen. And I am so grateful I have. And I am so grateful for the people who've shown up and are listening. Thank you. Life really is a journey, and we never know where it's going to lead us. I can't imagine, you know, at 15 knowing that I wanted to go to Europe with this teacher, knowing that that was going to lead me to where I am now. But I am so glad that I went up to him at the end of class and asked, hey, if you ever go to Europe again, I want to go with you. I'm so glad I listened to the little voice inside of me that wanted to go to the University of Puget Sound and travel on that study abroad program. I'm so glad that I made the choice to stay in Seattle and be with my family During their last years, and go to massage school, never having had an intention to become a massage therapist. You know, life has just unfolded in really interesting ways. I've been told that you know we spend the first twenty-eight years of our life trying to create our reality, create our ego of who we are, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to undo that. And for many ways, that that's been true for me. There's who I thought I was going to be, and then there's who I really am, and coming to that place of acceptance and trust and taking action on things that even though that they scare you can often have amazing rewards on the other side it's been surreal for me to see the holistic eye performance badge show up on next to tim ferris and brendan bouchard and dave Asbury and all the other great people that have podcasts I'm just starting out, and I can't compare myself to people who've been doing this for years, but I'm on the same page with them, and that's really exciting for me. So, that's a little bit about me. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. You can find all the past episodes of the show by visiting holistichighperformance.com, Please subscribe to the show to listen to future episodes. We release new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show would not be possible without the help of our team. We wish to thank our executive assistant, Harlow Brummett Dunn, our producer and chief technical officer, Dan Harmon of DH Productions, our podcast mentor, Angel B. Hartwell, the host and executive producer of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Our theme music was composed and arranged by Luca Millard Kish, On behalf of the whole team, we wish to thank you, our listeners.